0: Father, we are thankful to you for your word, and for your grace, and for your comfort that comes even while we worship you this morning. Knowing full well 9-11 and all that it means to the world over the last 10 years, God, we are just thankful that you are here, you are here in our midst, and where we gather in your name, and you inhabit the praises of your people, and so God continue to do a work in our hearts now, even as we look at this last of the seven signs that was recorded for us in John's Gospel. Open our hearts to receive, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John's Gospel focused on seven signs, and we looked at six of these signs over the last six weeks. But why did John, the Apostle John, focus on these seven signs? Why? recorded for us very clearly, so that we may believe. John chapter 20 verse 30 is the purpose statement of the Gospel of John. It says, Jesus did many other miracles, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, I came across a poem by someone who didn't believe. Okay, I'm going to read it out. It's called The Atheist's Creed uh, by a guy called Steve Turner, who was a British journalist and, and poet. And you see if it makes sense, okay? I'll read out some parts of it to you. I'll put it up on the screen as well. We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone to the best of your definition of hurt, and to the best of your definition of knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in a the therapy of sin. We believe that adul- adultery is fun. We believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the ones that we read were. We all, they all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe in Masters and Johnson. Masters and Johnson were some sex therapists or researchers many years ago. What's selected is average. What's average is normal. What's normal is good. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him and reality will adjust accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth except the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. We believe that after death comes the nothing. Because when you ask the dead what happens, they say, nothing. Nothing. If death is not the end, if the dead have lied, then it's compulsory heaven for all, excepting perhaps Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. So what do you believe? What do you believe about life and death? Found some statements about belief of life and death. Someone once said, not only does man fear death, he really does not enjoy life. And another statement, youth is a blunder, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. This is from a British Prime Minister in the 1800s, Benjamin Disraeli. And from George Santayana, a Spanish-American philosopher, he says, life is not a spectacle or a feast, it's a predicament. Another one, life is a disease for which the only cure is death. And a British author, Samuel Butler, says, life is one long process of getting tired. For those of us who woke up this morning and I'm so tired, that's life. Don't you find all this, like, ugh, way too cynical, pessimistic, fatalistic? Especially today, 9-11. Let me give you a quote from a Jewish carpenter. John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What a difference. And so do you believe, what do you believe is true? What do you believe about life, about death? Would you believe if somebody comes back from the dead? Would you?
1: It was the morning of September 20th, 2006. Jeff Markin recalls heading for work as usual. What he doesn't remember was driving himself to the hospital. He had called his boss and told him he didn't feel well. His boss was concerned and convinced Jeff to go to the emergency room. Somehow Jeff made it. As he got there, he collapsed. Dr. Chauncey Crandall was doing rounds in the intensive care unit that morning.
2: An alert call came over the PA system. Uh, that someone had arrived at the hospital with a massive, deadly heart attack. And then a second call uh, went out over the PA system and specifically asked for me because I was the cardiologist on that day. When I arrived there, it was like a war zone. It was like being in battle, it was chaos. Everyone there fighting to keep this man alive.
1: The ER staff worked on Jeff for 40 minutes They shocked him a dozen times. Despite their efforts, there was no response. Once Dr. Crandall decided the team had done everything possible, he called the time of death. While a nurse prepared Jeff's body for the morgue, Dr. Crandall updated the charts.
2: Well, as soon as my note was completed, I walked out through the door to this emergency room. I heard this voice say, turn around and pray for that man. And I wanted to ignore that voice because I said to myself, how can I pray for that man? He's dead. He's gone. There's no life in him. So I kept walking, and the voice came back again. And the voice said, turn around and pray for that man. And I stopped, and I thought to myself, I need to honor the Lord. So I turned around at the doorway, and I walked to the side of the body, and the nurse was on the other side of the body, and she's looking at me like... What are you doing? Why are you here? And I stood there next to that corpse. And I opened my mouth. And these words came out, Father God, I cry out for this man's soul. If he does not know you as his Lord and Savior, Father, raise him from the dead now in Jesus' name. I
3: remember staring at bright lights and they were swirling around. Out of those uh, bright lights uh, came an image. And he told me that he was there to look over me and make sure that everything was going to be fine.
2: And the other doctor walked in the room, and I pointed to him. I said, shock this man one more time. And he looked at me he said, Dr. Crandall, we can't shock him. He's dead. There's no life in him. He's gone. And I said, for me, shock him one more time. And that doctor, out of respect and honor for me, went over to that body with those defibrillator paddles and put his paddles on that patient and shocked him. Shocked Jeff. And immediately an instant heartbeat came back. Instant, perfect, regular, which we'd never seen before. And the nurse screamed. What have you done?" And this perfect heartbeat came back. And then suddenly, this, blood this abdomen started moving here. and started breathing. And then a couple moments later, the fingers started twitching.
1: They immediately moved Jeff to the intensive care unit. Three days later, Jeff woke up with no evidence of brain or organ damage.
3: Once I I woke up, my daughter Jillian was there, and that's when she told me what had happened.
2: When I came in Monday morning, Jeff was sitting up in bed, and I said, "Where, where were you that day that I prayed for you in the emergency room? And he said, Dr. Crandall, I was in total darkness, and I was so disappointed. And I said, Jeff, what were you disappointed about? He said, I was alone for eternity.
3: He asked me at that time if I was willing to accept God, my life, and into my heart. I just opened my arms and accepted God. Uh, it was just a very emotional time, and I, you know, I remember,
1: you know, crying <laughs> in his arms. Today, Jeff is back at work and gets regular checkups with Dr. Crandall. He still has no heart problems or residual complications from his brush with death.
3: You know what I had gone through. and uh, To be so fortunate, and, uh, that's been part of, I guess, my uh, daily battle is, why me? Why have I been <clears throat> so fortunate uh, to have God shine on me? Uh, I guess a second time.
2: This day that I prayed for Jeff was a day of very little faith. It wasn't one of my big God days. And when I walked into that emergency room, to tell you the truth, I didn't want to stay and pray because I was so much in a rush with my work. But I prayed. And I didn't have a lot of faith backing that prayer up that day. But the Lord asked me to do it, so I honored the Lord in prayer. And that's all we need, just a spark of faith like that mustard seed. Miracles are real, and they're real today.
0: What did you catch there? What I caught was total darkness. Disappointed disappointed because you're going to be alone for all eternity without Christ. I don't know how you feel after watching this clip. Okay, this is just one story, right? So I decided to Google. I Googled back from death experience. And to my surprise, there were 55.4 million hits. Okay, they may all be about one story, but nevertheless, 55.4 million hits. I didn't go through all of them. I thought better that we go to the Bible instead, right? So let's turn in the Bible, okay? In the Gospels, back from death experience, of course, we have Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5. We have the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7. Today, we're going to look at Lazarus in John 11. Of course, we have Jesus who was resurrected from the dead. So, do you believe in life after death? Or back from the dead? What did Jesus say? Jesus said in Luke 16, 31, He said, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Are you one of them? Am I one of these who will not believe? Sean C. Randall, Jeff, whatever his name was in the video. ah. I know believing is difficult. Because we always think that smart people do not believe, or at least they do not believe easily. Smart people are skeptical people, cynical people. And some of you, including myself, would have found the video very hard to believe. We begin to find all kinds of excuses or reasons why it cannot be. Even when my son was healed, In 1994, I found it hard to believe and I was thinking maybe the initial test of the hydronephrosis problem was the test instruments were were, were faulty or the the first doctor's diagnosis was wrong and therefore he was actually fine. Very, very hard to believe. Much easier, I thought, if the gospel writers didn't include stuff like raising the dead. Would have been much easier if they said Even Jesus' resurrection was a spiritual one. Much easier for everybody, much easier for you and I, much easier for the preacher even. How can the disciples, after witnessing so many miracles, including three cases of back-to-life experience, still deny the Lord? I think it's called a hardening of the heart. A hardening of the heart. Of the heart. When your heart is hardened, you won't believe even if somebody rises from the dead. Not my words, Jesus' words, Luke 16. And especially if someone rises from the dead. Let's turn to John 11. Open up your Bibles, John 11. I'm going to be reading along and then I'm going to be making comments along the way. So let's read from John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Thank God, the one whom the Lord loves. You know, there are, only two references in the Bible that says the one whom Jesus loved. And sometimes we are not comfortable with this comment, right? We think that the Apostle John especially was kind of too much, you know, way too proud. Because we have this perverted sense of pride that when we read this verse, it is about us. It's like it's so conceited uh, when you emphasize that I am the one whom Jesus loved. But the emphasis is not on you. The emphasis on Jesus, the one who loves, the one who is the lover. And therefore, any one of us can confidently and boldly say, I am the one whom Jesus loves. Jesus loves me. That is the emphasis. And and, and then our whole life changes when we know that we are loved. That is what it's supposed to be. And we are loved by no less than Jesus that we are loved by no less than God. So let's move on. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. See? Jesus, Lazarus, the one whom Jesus loved, and now emphasize once again, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Jesus did not only love Tan Kok he loved us all. Verse 6, Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks... By day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. You know, very often we think that these disciples are truly dumb people, right? But I suggest let's not blame them, you know? It was then 2,000 years ago as it is now. We use many words for death. Even among Christians, I found that we find it difficult to say, so and so's father is dead. We don't say that. We say he's gone to be with the Lord. He's asleep. He's promoted to glory. He's crossed over to the other side. So don't blame the disciples when Jesus, or don't blame Jesus when he said, He's asleep. And verse 14, so then he told them plainly. He said, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go, also go, that we may die with him. You remember earlier they said that you pass through here, they tried to stone you and you still want to go there, they're going to kill you, understand? Jesus, you get it? Which part of kill do you not understand? It's death! But but you die, die also want to go. So we all die together lah. That's basically the English translation of this passage, okay? It was, a a commentator called it a cry of loyal despair. So at least you can say that farmers. Was loyal. Let's go together. Let's die together. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. You know, Martha was always the action person, right? She couldn't take it anymore. When she heard that Jesus was, was near, she ran out and she marched out to meet Jesus some distance away. And you know the tone of accusation and disappointed, uh, a disappointment in Jesus that Martha had. See, you can do all these six signs that John wrote about, but you didn't come to heal my brother Lazarus. And then she said, I believe, and I believe. It was very mixed up, very mixed up. It was what I would say, like, I believe, but help my unbelief moment. And then she continued in verse 25. And Jesus said to her, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes. Yes, I don't notice any hesitation there. She said, yes. And then she even declared that mighty declaration that Simon Peter declared, you are the Christ, son of the living God, who was to come into the world. And you know, these few verses are just so rich. Jesus did not say, I will resurrect or Lazarus will be resuscitated. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And Martha gave that great confession of faith that the only time ever recorded was Peter who that vowed the Christ, son of the living God. And I get a sense that Martha was like, oh, I believe, yet I'm angry with Jesus and kind of just overwhelmed by all this spiritual stuff about I am the resurrection and the life and and all that. Then she went to call Mary. She's the spiritual one. Verse 28. And after she had said this, after Martha had said this, she went back and and she called her sister Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. You see, Martha probably related the whole exchange between herself and Jesus to Mary. And she was kind of saying, Hey, Mary, this is deep, man. This is cheap. You know what he said? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't get it. But I know He's Christ the son of the living God. Yet, I don't quite know if I believe all the way. I, all I asked was that my brother Lazarus will live. When it came to Mary, same thing. Same disappointment, same accusation, tone again. But you know, Jesus, he wasn't bothered by this. You, know? you don't know this. Like, you still don't believe me. Ah? After all I've done for you, after all the sick signs, he didn't do any of this. Because he knows that it comes from a broken heart. I think if anyone of those survivors or, or relatives of 9-11 were to come to Jesus in that way, the same heart of comfort and love will still come out. It comes out like this in this episode. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied And that classic verse in verse 35. Two words, Jesus wept. If any one of the survivors in 9-11 and any one of the relatives... Had come to Jesus in prayer, I think Jesus would have wept. Why did Jesus weep? Why did Jesus weep? Some argued that Jesus was crying for the crowd because of their lack of faith. These people got no faith after six signs, still no faith. He was weeping because they did not believe in him. Okay, maybe one reason. Second reason, some were saying that Jesus was weeping because he had to bring Lazarus back to life. Lazarus was already in heaven, enjoying himself. Wonderful place. And he was weeping because, I reluctantly, I got to bring him back to earth. Okay, crazy reason, right? Third reason, some say that Jesus was weeping tears of rage at the evil of death and at sin which, for which the wages are death. And he was grieving for the sinfulness of human beings and the death that followed. Possible. And some were saying that Jesus was weeping for himself because he was anticipating his own cruel death on the cross. Of course, he knew that the miracle he was going to perform, right he was going to raise Lazarus uh, from the dead. But he was Weeping because by doing this one last seventh sign, he was going to antagonize all the Pharisees and they were going to come after him and he was going to die on the cross. All kinds of reasons, some plausible ones. But for me, I think Jesus cried because he cared. Pure and simple. He cried for the same reason that you and I cry at funerals. Maybe you more than I. He grieved for the people he loved. Lazarus, Mary... And Martha, he identified with their pain and he understood their tears. That's what friends do. They cry when you cry. I think that's the only reason that makes more sense to me than all the rest. When Jesus wept, he was saying to us, I know what grief is all about. I know that this was not the way it was meant to be. Certainly not to disappear from the twin towers and and body cannot even be found. I know that death is awful. I know the separation that death brings is horrible. There was a story of this little girl who came home late one day from school, and the mummy was mad, and she started as all mummies do. Finally, she settled down and she asked the little girl, "Why were you late?" After all, and the little girl told the mother that today was. In school, a show and tell day where you bring your dolls to school and you explain why you like this doll and all that. And on the way home, her friend had dropped her doll and broke it. So the mother's tone immediately changed. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have done my da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I should have ah. And she said, oh, little girl, you are so kind. You must have along the way tried to help your friend repair her doll. And the little girl said, No, mommy, the doll was too broken to be fixed. I just stayed there and helped Sarah to cry. Isn't that just like Jesus? Of course, Jesus can fix it. But Jesus stayed there and he cried. That's why Jesus cried. He was helping Mary to cry too. And he, he was the one who knew a miracle was about to happen. Why should he cry? He should say, Mary, don't cry, don't cry. I'm going to raise him up. No, he did that. He was that human and he was that compassionate. He sees our sorrows. You know, you often see grand statues of Jesus, right? I'm very proud of this picture I took in East Timor okay, a few months ago. That's a statue of Jesus up on a hill overlooking... The Dili, the capital of East Timor. Arms outstretched, very grand. Blessing, blessing East Timor. You know that uh, before 9-11-2001, there was another atrocity on the 19th of April 1995. And that's the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City bombing done by an American in an American city where... 168 people died and 680 people were injured. 1995. Until 9-11 came along in the year 2001, this was the worst act of terrorism ever in American history. And now a memorial stands there. And a memorial is like this. At the heart of that memorial is a nine-foot statue of Jesus But this statue is not like that in Brazil or or East Timor, a stony-faced Jesus with arms outstretched blessing. This statue had Jesus with his face in his hand, and he turned slightly away to look at the place where the terrorist act happened. And the plaque below says, Jesus wept. This is the Jesus that you and I can identify with, I guess, much more than that grand statue that you see in Brazil. Let's continue reading from verse 36. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. See how Jesus loved Lazarus. And some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. This is where you must love the King James Version, or the authorised version. By the way, it's the 400th anniversary of the King James Version. Four days, by this time, he stinketh unto high heavens. Okay, unto high heavens is unauthorised. I added that. The King James Version says, He stinketh, he stinketh. Jesus was late, four days late. Both M and M, Mary and Martha, berated him. I would have, I would have, if Lazarus was my brother, I would have said the same things that Mary and Martha said, perhaps even more. Well, you know, everybody in PPH, especially among the staff, knows that I'm quite anal about punctuality. Obsessive, okay. Uh, anal is not... But it's in the big dictionaries nowadays. It's like acceptable word to use. I've always said that if I ever get stomach ulcers, uh, it's because of all you late comers. <laughs> but let's not be too hard on the sisters, okay. You see, people who are mourning are, are understandably very sensitive I remember when I was mourning my grandma's death at the time in Sego Lane the Death Valley or the Death street, and these foreign tourists came by snapping pictures you know I chased them out, man, I chased them out. here we are mourning, and they were come i can't remember if I used some choice language or not at that time. I probably did you know I just oh, everything came out. I was only a few months as a christian as a Christian at that time, so maybe excusable, but, but when you're mourning, you are very, very sensitive. And also reminds me of, uh, of something I observed at the funeral wake one time. You know, I remember it was at Singapore Cascade. And obviously this group of men had agreed to meet at, the, at a certain time to offer condolences to the bereaved at the wake. And uh, so they came. They went up there, they paid their respects, they sat down, they were eating peanuts and drinking packet water. And then a man walked in. And someone in this group shouted out, here comes the late Mr Tan. Get it? I think fortunately, the guy in the casket was not Mr Tan. Otherwise, they would be shocked. But why was Jesus late for four days? Why? Why? A Jewish rabbi, and I even have a name here, his name is called Bar Kapara. he taught, um, you know, for the first three days after a person dies, this is Jewish belief. The soul separates from the body and the soul keeps returning to the body and looking, finding a way to get back into the body. That's their belief, okay? And First day, he looked the face still the same. I think I tried, cannot enter. Second day, the bo- the face and the body still the same. Try, I cannot enter. Third day, body and the face still look the same. Try, fourth day begin to decompose. Ew, that's not me, so he never come back to the body again. That's that belief, okay? That's the belief. That's why four days. And then in the Mishnah, which is one of these Jewish writings where commentaries from Rabbi after Rabbi says, and, and it's uh, authoritative, okay, to the Jews collection of all the the explanations about the Bible and the oral traditions of Jewish law and all that, say, say, they must give evidence only during the first three days. Uh, After the death, after this period of the first three days, the decay of the corpse makes identification impossible or uncertain. CSI, eat your heart out. (laughs) Because in those days, the CSI, if they have, after the third day, uh, cannot identify already. Even if they produce the body and say, hey, this is so-and-so, it, it, it's you know, beyond recognition, so I cannot confirm that this is so-and-so. That's, that's the, the law of those days. That's why, three days. Verse 40, let's continue. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you, if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, placed their faith in Him. And so Jesus had a reason for His delaying because His delaying was deliberate. His delay did not mean denial. Jesus had a reason. God has a reason. Even for allowing something as dastardly as the 9-11 crashes on the Twin Towers. Isaiah 55 verse 9 tells us that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways, my ways, higher than your ways, and God's thoughts, my thoughts, higher than than your thoughts. Jesus being four days late was at the expense of Mary and Martha's mourning. Yes, they were deeply saddened and hurt, but it was to prove that Lazarus was deader than dead so that God would be glorified. You know, we saw the video earlier. What went through your mind, really? Uh, Maybe this guy didn't really die, you know. He was just... Maybe the doctor was mistaken. This Sean C. Crandall, Dr. Sean C. what chief cardiologist in this hospital. Maybe he was mistaken. Maybe this man, Jeff, was in just some kind of suspended animation. Maybe he had a very, very low heartbeat that this experienced cardiologist could not pick out. Maybe this cardiologist was tired. Maybe he had, like Lee Li 30 hours on her feet. Maybe, 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 maybe. But what if this man had been dead four days? That would have been different. So now you get it, right? My ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He was calling out, not just Lazarus come out, Lazarus come forth. He was calling out for faith. Faith, belief, Believe, verse 42 says, so that they may believe you sent me. You still have many questions? I have. Why Dr. Sean C. Crandall? Why not a pastor to pray for this man? After all, this doctor said he had no faith. And why Jeff? Why not some other guy? He wasn't even a believer. Do you, know you notice that? He wasn't even a believer at that time. Why, 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 why? God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His glory must be the highest of the highest. I don't have the answer. Okay to question, I think. But I don't have the answer. So, what do these seven signs point to? We covered all of them. Turning of water into wine. The royal official's son. The... Paralyzed man by the pool of Bethesda, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, the blind man who was healed, and now raising of Lazarus. Why these seven signs? We know that. John 20:30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs besides these seven. In the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in the Bible, But these seven signs are written that you may believe, believe, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, 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 you may have life, life, life in his name. So just two words, belief and life. Belief and life. Do you really believe God, the Heavenly Father, the sender of Jesus Christ, to die for our sins? That Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And, and, and not just a kind of glib belief or intellectual assent. A belief that will, maybe, with a gun pointed to our head, we will still dare to say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to the heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That is the Apostles' Creed. Would we say that with a gun to our head? Believe. You know, let's not be like I was. I just heard this recently. Let's not like be the ex-Prime Minister of Israel. You know what happened at that time? She, she was Golda Meir. Remember Golda Meir? And somebody asked her, do you believe in God? She said, she gave a really convoluted answer. She said, number one, I believe the Jews believe in God. Number two, I believe in the Jews. Okay, go figure this one out. Okay, I couldn't figure it out. Believe, if you believe in something or someone, you have to live your life differently. Then, if you do not believe. And one of the key results of belief in Jesus is not the fear of death. I think if you believe in Jesus, you will not fear death. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were were held in slavery by the fear of death. So if you believe in Jesus, who died and saved you from your sins, if you believe that Jesus rose again on the third day, what does the Bible tell us? That he might free us, who all our lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. There was a US soldier in the Vietnam War who believed in Jesus one day, right in the midst. And he was about to go into a deadly battle the next day. And he wrote this poem, and he sent it to his sister. Let me read this to you. Today is a day of poem, okay? Let me read this to you. Lord, God, I've never spoken to you, but now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me you didn't exist, and like a fool, I believed all this. Last night, from a shell hole, I saw your sky. I figured right then they had told me a lie. Had I taken time to see the things you made, I would have known they weren't calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you would take my hand. Somehow, I feel you would understand. Funny, I had to come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. Well, I guess there isn't much more to say, but I'm sure glad, God, I met you today. I guess zero hour will soon be here, but I'm not afraid since I know you're near. The signal, well, God, I have to go. I like you, lots. I want you to know. Look now, this will be a horrible fight. Who knows, I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly to you before, I wonder, God, if you wait at the door. I'm crying, I'm shedding tears. I'll have to go now, God. Goodbye. Strange now, since I've met you, I'm not afraid to die. The name Lazarus means Eliezer in Hebrew. Lazarus is Greek. And it means God is my help. God is my help. How do you think Lazarus lived after his back from death experience? How do you think he lived? Well, there was one tradition that says that Lazarus' first question when he came back from the dead was, he asked Jesus, would I ever die again? Jesus said, yes. Yes. And on learning that, he never smiled again. Some story. But I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I don't have friends who have come back from the dead. But I have many friends who have had heart bypass surgery, remission from cancer, even escaped an air crash, the silk air crash in Medan. I know they all felt a new lease of life and they were living life the full after that. I have many friends among you who have believed in the Lord Jesus son of the living God and we all believe and we live life to the full. We take hold of life which is life indeed. D.L. Moody, a famous American preacher once said some fine morning you will read in the newspapers, D.L. Moody is dead don't you believe it he says I shall be more alive that morning than ever before isn't that the way and so 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 onward says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which, uh, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life in the RSV, so that we would take hold of life that is life indeed. So let's pause for a moment of reflection. Belief and life. Does our life reflect our beliefs? Or we feel that we are weak in our beliefs? It's okay. Even Martha was like that. Even Mary was like that. Even the man whose son was healed said, I believe. But God, help my unbelief. Would you turn to God today for everything you need? Would you believe? And if you do, would you not be arrogant? Can we enjoy everything that God has given to us? Some God gives a Rolls Royce. Some of us, we have a Kia Canto. Some of us, we have Mercedes buses. Would you enjoy everything that God gives to us for our enjoyment? Would you do good? Would you be rich in good deeds? I'm going to share a song with you, a very old song that even our youthful tripping doesn't know. It's called Believe in Your Heart in Jesus. It comes from this album, The Apostle. I don't know how many remember this. It's a musical about the life of Paul. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. If you do, don't be arrogant. If you do, enjoy everything that God provides. If you do, do good. If you do, be rich in good deeds and take hold of life that is life in thee. let's pray together. How confident are we that we have believed and that we have given our lives over to Christ? I want to open up the altar now. If you have not done that, if you cannot sing this song, if you cannot declare like Mary or Martha, I believe in you. You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And do come up and I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to teach you how to pray to receive the Lord Jesus as your Lord, as your Saviour. To receive the grace so that you will not fear death. It's one of the outcomes of that belief. Just yesterday we were at the men's meeting talking about our epitaph. What would be right like to be written? on the tombstone. I wonder how many of your friends I to talk about that. Don't fear death. It's a homecoming. Believe too that you are the disciple whom Jesus loves. Is that true? It's got to be true. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loves you. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. So in a quiet moment now, let me lead you in a prayer. Maybe you can say it quietly in your heart too. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. God loves Tankok Father. Replace your the name there. God loves me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And I believe that in doing so, I will have life in His name. And so, by Jesus' grace, I will not be arrogant. I will enjoy everything that God has provided for me. I will do good. I will be rich in good deeds. I will be generous and willing to share. I will lay up treasures for myself in heaven. I will take hold of the life that is truly life indeed. Let me just end in prayer. I encourage you to reflect for a moment. I know it's late. And if you wish to come forward for prayer too, uh, do so as we close in prayer now. Father, thank you so much for your word to us, Lord. That you are the comforter. That you bring peace. Peace that passes human understanding. And of all the things that we cannot understand, surely 9-11 is one of those. But today, this day, 10-year hence... We know that you are a God who loves. You love us. You love me. I am the disciple whom you love. And that you are a very present help in times of trouble. The very name of Lazarus, God is my help. And so we turn to you this morning. Lord, would you help us to take hold of life that is life indeed. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.